Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. The whole book of Acts is a continuous story of the spread of the early church after Jesus went up to heaven, and it's the work of Jesus through His apostles, through His church, healing, sharing the good news, beginning churches, um, new communities of Jesus followers throughout the world. And Paul, the apostle, has been a key figure in that. But this final section of the book of Acts was Paul saying that I must go first to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. And this was a dangerous thing because the, the Jews in Jerusalem were not happy with Paul's message. And he knew he was, there was going to be danger there. He had been warned of that by prophets. Uh, they said, you're gonna, they, they may arrest you, they may even kill you. And so now we're in a very lengthy, multi-week story. And so if this is your first time, you're kind of picking up in the middle. But, uh, but I'll, I'll catch you up here. So Paul went to Jerusalem. He tried to, he tried to um, kind of make a, a peace offering, in a sense, uh, to the Jews who were concerned about whether he actually believed in following the law and cared about their traditions uh, by going through a purification ritual at the temple. Uh, but it didn't work. They, they saw him there. They got angry. They stirred up a mob. They were about to kill Paul, really, uh, when the Roman soldiers came and rescued him. And he spoke to the crowd. It didn't work. They, they were up in arms. The centurion tried to figure out what was going on. He kept Paul alive, but then he brought them before their council. It still turned into a riot. And so finally, last week, we saw that Paul was taken by the Roman soldiers. At, at, there was a plot against his life. And so to save, keep Paul from being killed, the Roman soldiers transferred him from Jerusalem to Caesarea to take him to the Roman governor, Felix. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 24, is Paul is before Felix, and Felix, the Roman governor, is listening to him to figure out what is going on and what should be done with this prisoner. So I'm going to read now from Acts chapter 24. I'll read the whole chapter. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. 
Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple, without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else, let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave us this word so many years ago, and yet it is still so relevant to us today. We pray that now as we reflect on your word, that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that this word would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, that you might change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live in this week and in the weeks to come. Amen. So, one, uh, one activity that I love, you can, ask, you can ask Suzanne for stories about this. I haven't gotten to do it in a while, but I love whitewater rafting. And when I, was, uh, when I was a teenager and I was going to summer camp in Pennsylvania, I went to this two-week summer camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks. I'm quite fond of it. You've probably heard about it. I'll tell you more if you haven't. But part of this Summer's Best Two Weeks camp is that we would go on a rafting trip on the Yakagani River. The Yakagani River is in Pennsylvania, and the Yakagani River is not like the most aggressive whitewater river that you can raft, but it's not nothing. Uh, if you're familiar with whitewater uh, rafting and that kind of thing, there's, there's classes of rapids. There's class one and two rapids that are kind of just ripples in the water, and then there's class three rapids that move a little faster and have more rocks, and then there's class four and five rapids that really, if you don't know what you're doing, you, you might get killed. Like there's, there's big rocks and the waves and there's big waves and they go fast. So whitewater rafting is kind of dangerous, but it's also a lot of fun. Now, when you take a bunch of teenagers on a rafting trip with some college students guiding them who don't really know what they're doing, it's, it's a little bit dangerous, to be honest. Um, but that's what we did uh, safely, you know, mostly. So before every big rapid, we would get together. They would kind of, kind of pull off to the side. With all, you'd have like maybe six or eight rafts on this trip you know, college student, four or five teens in the raft. And you pull off to the side, and the guide, who actually knew what he was doing, who was a good kayaker, who had been down the river many times, would, would explain the rapid that was coming up. So, okay, here's where the rocks are, and here's how the water flows, and it's going to try to push you into this rock, and if you hit that rock, you're going to flip over. But if you paddle hard on the left, you'll get going to the right, and you need to go in at this angle. And if you do that and paddle really hard, you'll shoot straight through. And when you do it, it's amazing. You go, you turn, you go straight through, you hit these big waves, but in your rubber rafts, you just hit them and you bounce and it's fun and it's exciting. But there's a lot of water going on. 
There's a lot of real danger going on. It's not, it's not like, uh, it's, it's, it's different than like a roller coaster where you know nothing can really happen here and this ride will be over and I'm totally out of control. It's even different than like a ropes course where you're tied in and really it's idiot proof. Nothing can happen to you. When you're out on the river, like it's real. There's real rocks, there's real waves, there's real danger. But if you keep focused in the right direction, the danger and all turns into a ride that you can handle. It's still, some people love it, some people don't. But you get through and you are carried through. And that's what, what we see this morning in Acts is we see danger. We see rocks on every side. And yet we see Paul, our hero in the story right now, our human hero, staying focused. Staying focused and riding his raft through the river, even though there's rocks coming from every side. And he could give up, he could get discouraged. And he's facing, the biggest rock here in this, in this river in Acts 24 is one that most of us feel very acutely right now. It's uncertainty. Paul gets stuck unjustly in prison for two years. Two years, he is just left in prison, even though Paul does everything right. And so I wonder this morning if some of you are feeling the same way. Now that you're here in this, in this shelter this morning, you're not literally in prison, but, but some aspects of our lives feel a little bit like prison right now, right? We can't, there's places we can't go. There's things we can't do. We might feel like we've done everything right, and yet all this stuff keeps happening. And sometimes we know that we do things wrong too, but even when we do things, everything right, like Paul does everything right here, and yet he's stuck, and he's stuck with uncertainty. And so when faced with uncertainty, we can be tempted to lash out. We can be tempted to give up. We can be tempted to despair. And yet the message for us from Acts this morning is that our certainty does not come from events or from knowing what is going to happen. The certainty comes from God. That God is the one who has given us certainty. That God is the one who has set our course through this river. God is the one who has told us this will work out in the end, whatever bumps may come along the way. For Paul here this morning, he, in, in Acts, Paul had been given the certainty by God that he was to preach the gospel in Rome. If you were here last week, you heard that the central point of last week's story, which is really, since it's the same story, it's the central point of this one too, that when Paul was in prison, having been shouted down in the council of the Jews, the Lord himself stood by him and said, just as you have testified to my name in Jerusalem, you must also testify to my name in Rome. That was the certainty that Paul had, that God was carrying out his mission. God was going to take Paul to Rome. And we can share in that certainty that whatever storms and uncertainty we may be feeling individually as a church or as a culture, that we find our certainty in God. He is building his kingdom. He is working out his plan. He will carry us through. He has set our course. And then when we have that certainty, we can ride the river. And it can be scary sometimes. It's dangerous. It's really dangerous and it can really be scary. But when we keep our eyes set on God, sometimes we can feel the waves. And instead of feeling like we're being battered, we can feel like we're riding and enjoying the ride as we go through. What does that look like for us? Once we embrace that God gives us certainty, it looks like persevering in faithfulness. So this is, this is faithfulness in the midst of uncertainty. And as I mentioned in my Resurrection Weekly email yesterday, this is really the, a, a perfect passage for where we find ourselves as a church today. 
celebrating the one-year anniversary of our launch, but in the midst of great uncertainty as a culture and as a church, not knowing what the fall will bring, certainly not knowing what the next year will bring. But we can be faithful in the midst of it. And we see then in this story, we see three main characters. We see Felix, or we see Tertullus. Yeah, it says in, in our translation here, it says a spokesman. Other translations call him a lawyer, uh, which would be more fun because then I could make lawyer jokes. And, and Scott and Michael might appreciate that, or they might not. I don't know. But um, so we've got Tertullus. He's unfortunately not a good character here. Uh, we've got Paul, the central human character here. And we've got the governor, Felix. And from these three characters, we can kind of see them as, as mirrors for different positions we might find ourselves in. Unfortunately, in this case, only one of them is a good mirror that shows us what we should be. Paul shows us a good model. Tertullus and Felix show us negative models of what we should not be doing. But we see three lessons of what it means to persevere in faithfulness. From Tertullus, we see that we must embrace the truth about other people. From Paul, we see that we must embrace the truth about God. And from Felix, we see that we must embrace the truth about ourselves. So fundamentally, to persevere in faithfulness, as Acts shows us this morning, is to embrace the truth about others, about God, and even about ourselves. Now, Tertullus, we see Tertullus at the beginning. As I said, Tertullus is actually not an example of embracing the truth of others. He tells us that we should. He shows us that we should, but he shows us in the negative. Do you see what, how Tertullus started off? You might not have thought much about this in verse, verse 2 and 3. Uh, speaking to the governor, Felix, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. Historically, this is absolutely false. Felix was a terrible governor. Why was Felix, at the end of the chapter, why was Felix succeeded by Portius Festus? Because Felix was a failure. Rome called him back because he could not handle the province. The Jews were constantly complaining about Felix. He took bribes all the time. And we see he was trying to get a bribe from Paul. We know this from other sources too. Felix was one who took bribes. The Jews did not like him. He did not keep peace. He was not a good governor. Tertullus is straight up lying. He is trying, he's using flattery to appeal to Felix, and it is simply not true. After he lies about Felix, then he goes on to lie about Paul. For we have found this man, in verse 5, we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews. Verse 6, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Paul has done none of these things. Paul is not stirring up riots among the Jews. Paul is telling the good news about Jesus. Now, the Jews all around the Mediterranean may be rioting, but Paul is not the one stirring them up. This is, and he certainly did not profane the temple. That was a false accusation against Paul. So Tertullus is here not speaking the truth of others. But it's, it's a question and a challenge to us. We can, there's a sense in which actually we can, we can sympathize with Tertullus. He is, he is legitimately angry towards Paul. He thinks that Paul is violating the principles of their religion. He thinks that Paul is preaching things that are false. And so he has fallen into the temptation in seeing his enemy, Paul, in telling, in shading, outright distorting the truth about him. 
And we can see that temptation for ourselves too. It is so hard for us, whether we're talking about religion, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about anything else that we care deeply about, and there's other people that disagree strongly, it is so hard for us to speak well and honestly of them, to speak the truth. It is so tempting to demonize our opponents, to ignore anything they have done well, and to focus on, and to magnify everything they have done poorly. You can see this in, in any kind of discourse, on social media, conversation, even looking into your own heart, how hard it is to say something true that, something, that somebody you disagree with when they have said something right, how hard that is to admit it. Yet, as Christians, we are called to embrace the truth about other people, even people that may be wrong about some things, even people that we disagree with. We cannot speak falsely about them. We must speak truly. We must acknowledge when they are saying things that are right. Tertullus is an example here of what we are tempted to, but not an example that we should follow. So how can we do this? How, how, can, we, how can we embrace truth with, about people with whom we disagree? Really what this comes down to, it comes down to a question of security. How confident are we in the truth that we hold to, in the beliefs that we hold to, in the God that we serve. Many times our temptation to speak ill of other people, to magnify the wrong things they have said or done, is because of our insecurity. If I don't emphasize what they've done wrong, if I acknowledge they may have some things right, people may think they're right about everything. People may think I'm wrong. And it's a very real temptation. And yet, if we find our security and our certainty in God, then we have the power and the freedom to speak rightly about other people. Because we know that our security, our sense of ourselves, is not dependent on what those listening to us think. Because we find our certainty and our value in God. And so we see that as we carry on to Paul, we see that the, the, we reject the example of Tertullus and we see that we need to embrace the tr truth about other people. And we can do that by embracing the truth about God. Paul, when he speaks now, Paul does not feel the need to, Paul does not feel the need to lie about Tertullus. He doesn't feel the need to lie about Felix either. All, all Paul says in verse 10 when he speaks, says, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. That's it. He didn't say he was a good judge. He didn't say any pleasantries about him. He just said, yep, you're, you're judge. You've been put in authority. I will make my defense to you. And then he goes on. He does not rail on Tertullus. He does not even, he, I mean, he points out where Tertullus is wrong, but he just says straight up, I've only been in Jerusalem 12 days. I haven't disputed. I haven't stirred up a crowd. I haven't I defamed, uh, profaned the temple. I didn't do any of this stuff. He speaks the truth. But where does he stay focused? Look at verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul, even in the midst of his defense, 
embraces the truth about God and offers that to Felix. And then again, later on, down in verse 20, uh, 24 and 25, Felix, uh, he puts off the, the, the Jewish accusers, and he says, Felix, hey, come on. Or Felix says to Paul, Paul, come and talk to me. And Paul comes and talks to him. And, you know, what might Paul do? Paul might here make his defense again, ask Felix to release him. But instead, verse 25 as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgments, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. Paul did not mince words with the governor either. When he had an opportunity to speak to him, he stayed focused on the truth about God. Even the hard truths, the good truths, God has forgiven our sins, Jesus has risen from the dead, but also righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment, so much so that Felix was alarmed. And so we see here in Paul's example, we do see an example for us of what it means to embrace the truth about God. This is the way that we stay focused. We keep our raft pointed the right way through those rapids is by embracing the solid truth of God, whatever it may be. We do not get to pick and choose from the truth. We do not get to decide what we like for ourselves and what we don't. Instead, we are committed to the whole truth of God's word. One of our core values as a church, as Resurrection Community Church, one of our core values is obedience, which simply says that what the Bible gives us is true, we will believe and we will obey. Whether it is popular truth or unpopular truth, we don't have to worry about that. And then we don't have to worry about demonizing our opponents because it's not a, a relationship, of, it's not an up and down relationship with them. Instead, our primary fundamental relationship is with God. And other people like Felix, like Tertullus, can do with that what they will. But we keep our eyes focused on God. So how do we do that? How do we keep our eyes focused on God? How do we embrace the truth about him? It starts, it starts with knowledge. We have to know the truth. This is, the, this is why the word of God is central to our worship services. This is why the word of God is central to our community life as a church. It's part of our mission statement. We say our mission is to connect the people of Southern Virginia Beach to God and one another through his word. This is why our primary small group gathering as as, in, as a, for community are neighborhood Bible studies so that we can study God's word together. This is why we have our discipleship cohorts that we can gather together in small groups to dig into his word even more and to apply it to our lives. Because if you want that kind of solidity in your life that allows you to speak well of other people and not worry about what they think about you, that allows you to see yourself honestly, as we'll see in a minute from Felix, you can find that solidity in the word of God, in knowing God, in embracing the full truth about God. And it starts with knowledge, and then it goes from knowledge to wisdom. The Bible is full of instructions about wisdom, which other people have said wisdom is, is skill in the art of godly living. The knowledge that comes into our head about God, then we develop that through community and relationship and practice into wisdom, where we can live godly lives, where we can love other people even when it hurts, where we can care for other people even when it's hard where we can forgive other people when they hurt us, where we can confess our sins and ask other people for forgiveness when we hurt them. 
But if we keep our eyes focused on God and embrace the whole truth about him, not turning to the right or to the left, we keep our rafts pointing straight through. Even in the storms and the waves, we may feel scared, we may feel terror, but we stay focused. And once we've done that, like I already said, embracing the truth about God lets us also then acknowledge the truth about other people. It also lets us embrace the truth about ourselves. And this is what we see from the governor Felix. I already said he wasn't a great governor. He's not a great governor here either. Did you see in verse 22? But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. How sad. Felix understood the way. He knew the truth about Jesus. He knew the testimony of Paul. And then, after some, verse 24, he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. He said he wanted to know more. But what was Felix really after? He was alarmed when Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and judgment. And then verse 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. He was hoping for a bribe. And for two years, he sent for him often and conversed with him. So Felix whether intentionally or unintentionally, he presents here as the one who is self-deceived. He knows about the way. He knows the way of Jesus. He tells Paul, come talk to me. I want to hear more, preacher Paul. I want to hear about Jesus. I want to hear about faith. And yet, he gets alarmed. He does not want it to actually affect his life. What does he really want? He wants money. And this is, this is real. This is a temptation that we all face. This is such a common pattern that when we're tempted to walk away from Christianity, maybe you're here this morning and you've been walking away for a long time. Maybe you have doubts and questions and objections in your head. And yet I, the question we need to ask ourselves is where are our questions and doubts and objections coming from? Are they really coming from things we don't understand in the Bible? Felix understood. He knew what it was. Where was his problem coming from? His problem was coming that he wanted money. He didn't want to change his life. And so often that is what gets us to, that it's really the desire to live for ourselves, to desire, to desire to live life our own way. And then we add lots of other things on top of that. But I remember, I still remember a good friend I had in college. His name was Jeremy. And Jeremy, when he came into college, he was, he was an on-fire Christian. He was telling people about Jesus. He was coming to prayer meetings. He was a great guy. We became good friends. We were involved in the Christian fellowship together. And then in his second year in college, he said, we, we started having these conversations about his doubts, doubts about the reliability of the Bible, doubts about the goodness of God and the problem of evil, and all these kinds of doubts that, to be honest, are very legitimate questions. I am not, I'm not denying the validity of those questions or the importance of them. I would love to talk more about any of those questions. But when it came down to it, the real issue for Jeremy was that he had gotten into drugs. And he was using drugs, and he didn't want to give that up. He'd gotten into bad relationships with other people, and he didn't want to give those up. He, he wanted to do his own thing. And so when he would talk to us, we would talk about the doubts and the objections, but really, where, where it was coming from was his actions and his life, that he wanted to live his own life. 
And his, his story ended sadly and tragically. He had ended up dropping out of college, and his life just kind of spiraled down into a train wreck, apart from God, driven there by his own selfish desires. And so we, may not, we don't all necessarily go quite down as that path that Jeremy went down. But the temptation is always there. And the call this morning from Felix is a call to embrace the truth about ourselves. To be honest about what we're really desiring, what we really want, where our questions are really coming from. Is it really that we don't understand the truth that God offers? Or is it really that we don't want to obey the truth that God is telling us? And the two keys to doing this, to embracing the truth about ourselves, the two keys to that are confession and community. Honest confession, where we sit before God and say, God, I, I need to confess to you. I have nothing to hide. And in that honest confession, so I love our confession of sin every Sunday. As we confess our sins to God, we find freedom in that. Instead of trying to make ourselves better, instead of trying to make ourselves right, God has forgiven our sins in Jesus. He offers grace and forgiveness through the death of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that we cannot live. And then he gives it to us as a gift. That is the message of Christianity. So that we can embrace the truth about ourselves. We can say, you know what? I haven't done everything right. I am no Paul. Paul was no Paul. Paul had been an enemy of the church. And God had turned his life around. We can embrace confession and find freedom and healing and forgiveness in God's love for us. And the other part of it is community. We confess our sins most often privately, quietly before God, where we can kind of be most honest. But we can also do it in community. We can acknowledge our sins to other people. Whether it's something that we just don't want to admit to anybody, it is, it is freeing to admit it. And to hear another person in community say, yes. I still love you. I still care about you. I'm still with you. I, you know, I've experienced some of those things too. If we've hurt another person directly to confess it to them and hear them say, yes, that hurt, but I forgive you. Confession and community. The other part of community is that people can tell us when we're not doing things right. And we can ask them like, hey, is this okay? Am, am, I, am I acting rightly here? Am I speaking well of other people? Is what I just said, is that over the line? Is that too much? And we can be honest with one another. Why can we do this? How can we experience this embracing of the truth about others and about ourselves? It comes from staying focused on the truth about God. When we embrace the whole story of God that he has given us, that he made each of us in his image differently with all our gifts and abilities, that we as humans have messed that up by our sins and disobedience. And we've all done that. So we can confess it and acknowledge it. But he has saved us through Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, in the work of Jesus on the cross, in the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, giving us the benefits of Christ's work, giving us the power to live new lives, he forms us into a new community. And he is taking us one day to the final kingdom where all things will be made new, where we will live with one another and with Jesus forever and ever. That is the glorious hope, the end of the river. Whatever rocks may be, whichever struggles we may have getting our raft going in the right direction in the here and now, we know where this river is going. And it is a glorious destination as we stay focused on him.
Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all that you have given us. We pray that you would keep us focused on you and that as we embrace your truth, the truth about you, that would also let us embrace the truth about other people and the truth about ourselves. Would you keep our eyes on you and take us through the storms of life down this river that you have put us on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.